Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week, Emily Mahoney and I will be focusing on Constitution revision and some of the ideas that came out of there that are going to possibly be headed to you on your November ballot. So, Emily, we are back again. We took a little one week off, but we've had Constitution revision come back. And um, so welcome back. Yes. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. Well... We saw at Constitution Revision, they had, what, about nine or ten education items that were going forward, and the idea was for them to go to what they called style and drafting. What is style and drafting, and why was this an important week for them to discuss these things? Last week, last week. That's right. Last week, the Constitution Revision Commission met, and for those who don't know, which I assume is probably a lot of people, the Constitution Revision Commission is kind of this obscure group of people. Um, they only meet every once every 20 years, so by the time we figure out what they are and how they work, we'll probably forget by the time they meet again. Um, but they are in charge of deliberating and voting on different amendments to the Florida Constitution that will be put on the ballot in November for voters to decide. And so it, this has been going on for, for a long time now. Uh, I think the entire process takes about a year. And so as we get closer to November, um, these proposals, as they're called, uh, for different amendments are kind of nearing the end of the process and the ones that have made it so far have been repeatedly approved by various committees and by the entire body um, will now be going to style and drafting which basically means they the staff takes a look at it makes sure tweaks the language so it's all legally correct so that if it does get approved it will slide right into the constitution and they also uh, group different amendments together so that the ballot isn't so hugely long so what you're saying then is that they can log roll. Exactly. And it's really interesting, these conversations that are going on as to how they're going to group these together. I mean, do we want to put everything related to education in one constitutional amendment? Does that mean uh, term limits for school board members will be on the same uh, ballot question as um, requiring a supermajority to raise university tuition, for example. I mean, you know, these are things that are loosely related, but, uh, might all be combined into one thing. And there are tons of examples of that, uh, outside of education as well. That's really interesting to me because this brings up the whole question of what they've done in the legislature where it's not allowed to, and they still do it. They wrap 10, 20, 30 items together, call it an education bill. That's what 7069 and 7055 were. And now, that wasn't supposed to be okay, but as as the Constitution revision comes together, you might be faced with the idea of one idea that you love, one idea that you hate, and having to decide as a voter, and that could be really tough. So what, what are some of the ideas? You mentioned school board term limits was one. That seems to be very popular, and that did go through, right? Yep, that one did. And yeah, and like you said, it is pretty popular, at least on the CRC, and I think in general, um, term limits are... A fairly popular idea. Um, one of the ones that we didn't really expect to last so long is uh, Proposal 93. It's pretty interesting. It allows um, what they're calling high-performing district schools to essentially um, 
opt out of certain statutory requirements that a district and traditional public schools usually have to comply with that charter schools don't have to comply with. And this is all in an effort to kind of quote unquote level the playing field to, to use a legislative cliche um, so that uh, district schools can better compete is the idea with charter schools and they won't have to have as strict of building codes, for example, for the facilities that they use or won't have to have as strict of hiring requirements um, so that they can like have more innovation at their schools and like I said, better compete with charter schools. Um, it's, it's a really interesting concept. It's it's somewhat of a new kind of radical idea that was championed by uh, Superintendent Carvalho from Miami early in the committee process. And uh, the teachers union, uh, the FEA originally said that they weren't sure about their position, but now have decided that they are opposed to it because they're afraid of what that what laxing the hiring uh, requirements could really mean for schools not having to hire certified teachers or so on and so forth. And the specifics aren't really they don't really get into specifics in the amendment, and they do that intentionally because they want the legislature to tackle the specifics so that it's not so hard to change as things will definitely change in the next 20 years. I love that you call this new and radical because like like you've been here for a year and and we've been talking about how you're new. This is your first legislative session. And to me, this is old and maybe radical because I was, <laughs> Interesting. I was, I was covering charter school districts. I don't know. I was, I think I was still working at the Braden at the Manatee or the Manatee office of the Herald Tribune when the Sarasota County school district was interested in becoming a charter school district. They had them mm-hmm. in Palm Beach County, Hillsborough County was one and they were allowed to have waivers of certain of the restrictions within the chapter, which the education chapter, which has changed numbers. But um, that was something that they wanted and, and it has been talked about for a long time. I know Governor Scott has talked about the idea too. The whole idea was that charter schools were supposed to prompt competition, create new ideas, be generators of ideas. And then school districts were going to benefit from that in some way. But then the question became, if the red tape was in the way for the charter schools, why isn't it also in the way for the public schools? So I can see this as being an old radical idea. And I, hmm. and, and I don't know where it's going to go because I saw that it also is tied to the school grading system, right? Well, that's that's interesting that you say that. Yeah, and, and the only reason I called it new and radical is because that was something that was said during committee. Um, people were saying that, some of the commissioners were saying that, oh, we're not sure if this is this radical idea should be in the Constitution, but I guess it's not new, so that's even more interesting. But yeah, they had originally tied it to the school grading system. I think they only wanted A, B, or maybe C schools to participate. I think it was just A and B, but they have since removed that language. Um, they have not really defined what high-performing schools would mean, and they said, again, they did that intentionally because they don't know how the metrics are going to change in the next 20 years, how schools will evolve in the next 20 years, and they don't want to make it so hard on themselves to tweak these specifics by putting it in the Constitution. Well, I think we can look to class size as the perfect example of why too much detail makes it really hard to make a change. So maybe they're right on that front, at least. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one of the kind of other surprises we've seen in the CRC is that uh, two the two main amendments that were focused on um, kind of clearing the way for big uh, expansion of the state voucher programs um, 
were kind of abandoned and look like they are done. Uh, Proposal 45 was withdrawn by its sponsor, uh, Commissioner Erica Donalds, and uh, Proposal 4, which was the Blaine Amendment proposal, um, was temporarily postponed, but I've been told that they will not be bringing it back up again, and it's not going to style and drafting, which means it's it would be really hard for them to bring it back even if they wanted to later on. So, And uh, that, that was not something that really anybody expected. Um, based on the composition of the CRC, it has a lot of support, um, these different proposals, and it kind of seemed to me that they were that the people that they appointed, you know, there were so many prominent school choice advocates appointed that it seemed like this was something that they were getting ready to do. Um, but it's not happening. And uh, there are different <laughs> speculations as to why that is. Uh, Commissioner Donalds told me it's because they're waiting for the courts to settle it and that some recent Supreme Court cases have given them confidence that the courts will work this out for them. Um, teachers unions are saying it's because Proposal 4 polled low, and it needs 60% of voters to approve it um, on the November ballot to pass into the Constitution. Um, so who knows? But either way, it's not going to be on the ballot. Well, that proposal was before voters in 2012, and it mm-hmm. did not do well. It didn't come close to passage. And this is an election year. And if, if somebody were to come up and say, they're just trying to shove this down our throats again, we just voted on this, which is what they say about class size when they try to overturn class size and what they say about other issues too. It's like, are you are you representing us or are you just trying to tell us what to do? So maybe they will let the, the Supreme Court, and you mean the State, the U.S. Supreme Court, not the state Supreme Court, has been taking some rulings that have basically said that, you know, the the items behind the Blaine Amendment, which is using state tax revenue dollars in order to support religious institutions or any of their activities or facilities, is just not constitutional if it's being done for, you know, non-religious purposes, especially. Mm-hmm. So we should... We should um, not expect to see that on the ballot. And another one we won't expect to see on the ballot is the idea of ending the election of school superintendents, which is done in about two-thirds of the school districts in Florida. Florida is one of only two states that has elected superintendents, and apparently it's going to stay that way. Yeah, that one was interesting. Uh, Do you have any idea as to why that one went away? Well, primarily it sounds like they didn't want to put too many ideas before the voters, because the ballot can only be so long. And these are down ballot items. And if you put too many things in front of the voters, they tend to turn off and to oftentimes say no. And so when I spoke again, it was Erica Donald's, it was her proposal. And she said, I wanted to focus on the ones that I thought really needed to get done. And the fact is, the local control angle of the superintendent's has been spoken about in many to- many areas. Lots of school districts have already voted. Some have done away with their elected superintendents. Hernando County is one of those where they had a vote, I think it was about 20 or so years ago, and they, they did away with it. Uh, Lake County was another one. They had an elected superintendent. The elected superintendent was a dud, and they got rid of their elected superintendent. But other counties, Pasco is key among them. It's the largest in the country with an elected superintendent, the largest district, and they have had referendums or from time to time to ask what voters want, and they want to keep their elected superintendent. So so you can already do that. So what's the point of putting it in the Constitution? 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, th- we're already looking before we even talk about the CRC. We're already t- talking about having a, a long ballot this year. I mean, this is one of the the years that the U.S. Senate race and the governor's race happen at the same time. Plus, we already have five constitutional amendments proposed um, by citizen initiatives. So by the time we get to CRC uh, proposals, it's going to be pretty far down on the ballot. So that's a concern that keeps coming up over and over in the CRC. There were a couple of other items that they did move forward on. One was related to civics education. It turned out to be a fairly long conversation on a short subject. Don Gates brought it forward, the former Senate president, and he said that he thought that we should enshrine in the Constitution the idea that we should teach in our public schools the art of being a civic participant. And he really thinks that we needed to be having that in the Constitution in order to ensure that it doesn't go away. Because Florida already requires civics education. It has a civics end of course exam. And as a result, we've seen civics participation and knowledge go up. They do these statewide surveys and and national surveys, and Florida is usually near the top. Some people are saying because of Florida's civics education program, that's why we were able to see such eloquent and outspoken teenagers coming forward for these gun control and school safety rallies, for instance. So hmm. yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes back to kind of the question that the CRC seems to be toying with, which is what exactly is the role of the CRC? And some of it, se- some people seem to believe that it, like you said, is enshrining things that already exist to make sure that it will never get taken away. Um, some people seem to think that you know it's take a more conservative approach that we should only put things in the Constitution that absolutely have to be in the Constitution and not things that can be acted upon by the legislature. And some people, like Senator Tom Lee, have spoken frequently about the fact that the legislature is, at least in their view, more beholden to special interests. And there are certain issues that the legislature does not have the political will to attack. Um, he's used that example many times when it comes to his proposal um, that would essentially try to... Um, rid the state of greyhound racing and gambling on greyhound racing specifically. And um, he's talked about how the legislature doesn't have the political will to accomplish that. So it's left to these appointed members of the CRC. Um, so it is interesting. There, there seems to be kind of um, an uncertainty as to, because it only happens every 20 years. Um, and it is such kind of a strange body that they, there's disagreement as to what their role really is. One of the things that some, a lot of times was said is, does this need to be done in the Constitution? Like you said, can it be done somewhere else? And one of the times that they would say that it has to be in the Constitution is if it's dealing with something already in the Constitution. And one of those areas was the idea of a charter school authorizer. And I know it wasn't just a, to have charter school authorizer only. They, they called it a public school authorizer or or some other way than within the current school district system to um, open and operate schools within a district. Because right now, the Constitution says that a local school board will operate and supervise all of the public schools within its district. And they want, they want to change that because a few years back, there was a state authorizer of charter schools, and it was found unconstitutional because of that very language. So that's another proposal that's going forward to change that Because it's in the Constitution, that's the only place. The legislature can't change it for them. 
Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. So it's a it's a really interesting concept that's been moving ahead. And, and like you said, anything that goes forward still has to have the language approved at the at the um, style and drafting brought back to the Constitution revision full panel for a vote. And they have to have what, 20, 22? 22. Mm-hmm. 22 votes in order for it to be approved. And then they forward it to the Secretary of State who would put it on the ballot. Wow. Yeah. Still got a long way to go, it seems. And and even then, being on the ballot is no guarantee of success because you need 60% plus one in order for it to pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has anybody made any predictions or of what's actually going to get to the finish line? How many are actually going to be on the ballot? Have they talked about that at all? They've talked about it some. Um, like I said, there's kind of a general anxiety about putting too much on the ballot, Um that they might kind of doom themselves if they put too much and overwhelm voters. Um, so, I mean, and a lot of that will come down to grouping and how they want to group these different proposals together. And um, I think they threw out a number that they didn't want to have someone um, on style and drafting said that they didn't want to have more than 10 proposals. And there's already five, like I said, proposed by voters. So, it's going to be kind of a squeeze. I think they had mo- even more proposals make it to style and drafting last year, and they were compressed um, fairly significantly. So this is not completely uncharted territory for the CRC. But um, it, it, at this point, it becomes a question of priorities. Um, I don't think that anybody thinks that all of these are safe just because they've made it to style and drafting. And so they've frequently kind of gently toss the idea out there because they're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, I think. But I mean, in all honesty, if they have too many, they're going to have to decide which ones are their top priorities. And, you know, some of these are more revolutionary and would make more change than others. Like the new charter school authorizer, that's a pretty significant educational change. Um, but there are others that just kind of tweak language and here and there. And, and so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what makes it. Well, I know that Senator Gates said for his civics education proposal that if it becomes a standalone and it doesn't fit in with any of the other groupings, that he would withdraw it because he doesn't think that it should be on its own bogging down the ballot. So there could be action like that still as well. Mm-hmm. So now that the legislative session is over and we're between Constitution revision meetings, what else is going on in Tallahassee? Anything? What's keeping up your time? You got anything good going on <laughs> that you can share with our listeners? Any good Any good stories? You were writing about um, an expansion of a charter school, right? That's right. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's kind of interestingly quiet up here as we're waiting for uh, the legis- or I'm sorry, the election season to get going. Um, as well as the next meeting of the CRC. But I, I found it interesting, and I had a, a fairly lengthy conversation um, with Commissioner Eric O'Donnell yesterday, um, as well as with Ann Corcoran, who is married to the Speaker of the House, Richard Corcoran, about their efforts. Um, they are both listed on two applications, totally in different parts of the state, not affiliated with each other, but they are both charter schools. Um, they're both classical schools, so they would have this kind of liberal arts specialized curriculum. And um, both of these women have opened their own classical charter schools in their home areas. And so they both said that they were approached by founders of these new schools to, <clears throat> excuse me, 
they were approached by the founders of these new schools to use their expertise to help them apply for a charter and get that approved. And so I just found that interesting that this was happening at the same time. Both women are married to lawmakers. Erica Donalds is, of course, married to Representative Byron Donalds, who's a Republican from Naples. And um, it's just, I, I think, a reminder of the fact that the Florida legislature and especially the Republicans in power um, are pretty sold on the expansion of charter schools and they are passionate about it and so much so that it is part of their personal lives, which has raised questions in the past, especially from Democrats, um, about conflict of interests. And it's important to note that neither Donalds nor Corcoran are paid for the work that they're doing on these charter schools. Um, but it is interesting. It, it's kind of shows just generally, I mean, the Florida legislature is a part-time legislature. So all of the lawmakers, for the most part, have other jobs. And it creates all these kind of interesting questions um, that pop up all the time during session. And the, the question of charter schools and different people's involvement in founding charter schools and funding charter schools comes up all the time. And this is just another example of that. Yeah, we saw that at the State Board of Education meeting the other day as well, where the first two Schools of Hope charter school operators were approved, one of which is from Texas and has a, a very long-standing tradition down there and has been doing well, one of which is from Miami, affiliate at Somerset, which is the one that took over Jefferson County Schools, affiliated with Academica, and with which has connections to lawmakers, some of the lawmakers who even helped to create the Schools of Hope program. And so there have been questions raised about whether the legislature created a program to help their own charter schools as well. So, you know, those that's a, sometimes can't be proven whether it was like a cause and effect relationship. But, you know, we don't want to make any insinuations there. But the fact remains that these people are closely intertwined with the things that they're charged with approving and creating and creating laws for. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we do keep our eyes on. And, you know, I guess we'll let the readers decide if there's too much for them to bear any longer. But I mean, it does happen. It's not only the charter school operators, though, uh, the, who are involved and in making decisions on things that impact them. You can look no further than Senator Bill Monford, who took a lot of heat for his vote on 7055, he could have killed it, which is what exactly a lot of the public school people wanted him to do. And he is the head of the State Superintendents Association, and he makes a lot of decisions for public schools as well. And he's not the only one. There have traditionally been teachers a lot from Miami. Sometimes Pasco County has sent its own employees to run for office and they've served in the legislature and they've served on education committees. They run education committees. And so it's not just charter school people. It's not just voucher supporters. It's on both sides. So it's something that we do watch. And like, like you said, it's a citizen legislature. And I remember Senator Gates at one point saying, would you want an educator making healthcare policy and a farmer making education policy? Or do you want people who are the experts? So. Hmm. That's an in yeah, that's an interesting comment. Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged sword. I guess that's where we're going to leave it for today, unless you have anything else for the good of today? Nope, I don't think so. Like I said, pretty quiet up here, but um, still lots to do. All right, then. So we'll just talk again whenever we have the chance, and maybe we'll do another podcast next week. Thanks, Emily. That's the end of our podcast. 
If you'd like to participate in this conversation or any of our others, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. You can follow all of our breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And you can also find this podcast and rate it on iTunes. Please do so. I'm reporter Jeff Solichek. Thanks again for listening.